Amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read the first uh, nine verses there. Follow along as I read uh, in Luke 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, where you... When you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Bob. Great set of songs this morning to open our service. Very powerful, you notice, words and awesome God and marvelous we sung about God. And those are fitting because we're talking about the kingdom of God today. The big picture kingdom of God today As you heard uh, Bob read, as Jesus sent out his disciples for this kingdom mission. Well, today we are continuing in our series, The Gospel of Luke, um, as we've been looking at things accomplished among us. Thanks to Pastor David and Pastor Rick, who were here the last couple weeks to fill in. They did a fantastic job, and so grateful to have guys who can jump in and help out. Well, as we get back to Luke, we're looking at this historical account An historical account, real quick recap, written by a doctor named Luke. As he writes to a Gentile convert, you remember way back in chapter 1, named Theophilus. Theophilus was a man who was, Luke was seeking to explain to him who Jesus is and who are Jesus' people. Theophilus as a Gentile would have felt as if he didn't quite know how he fit in this Jewish context of people as he became a follower of Christ And so Luke explains to him who Jesus is and and who are his people. What is their identity? Who are they to be? And one big answer to that identity question is kingdom people. We are kingdom people. When Jesus began his ministry, some of his first words he uttered, recorded in Matthew 4, were this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus had this big picture kingdom message that was at the forefront of his ministry. It was right out front. He front-loaded the kingdom in his ministry and all he did. And he came, actually, as Emmanuel, God with us. He came to earth to bring this kingdom to earth and then to fill it with new citizens. Citizens who will live with a different purpose, with a different character with a different identity than everyone else. But I have to wonder, as Jesus sent those disciples out the first time, what must it have felt like to be sent out as the first disciples to declare the new kingdom of God? I mean, for sure, they had seen some incredible miracles. They'd seen him do some incredible things, calm the storm, 
healing the demon-possessed man, healing the bleeding woman, he, uh, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Those were all just from the last couple weeks of our sermons. And they'd heard incredible teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. But now they're to go out and proclaim this kingdom idea. Well, what kind of kingdom, Jesus? They must have been thinking. Where's our land? And, and where's our army? And where's your throne? And, and, and where's our power and influence, Jesus? We love the healings. We love the teaching. But this kingdom, what is it and where is it? Sure, we're helping people, but where's the victory? I have to think some of those questions were running through their mind as he sent them out the first time. There must have been a bit of cognitive dissonance there, right? A disconnect like, okay, I am all for this kingdom, but where is our land? Where's your throne, Jesus? And today for us, there's some similar temptations or similar maybe dissonance for you to look at the world with all its problems and all its challenges and our own lives and think, what kind of kingdom, Jesus? Where's your kingdom? Or in your personal life, I don't feel like a citizen of the kingdom. I still struggle with the same sins from when I became a Christian, and I feel like failure is inevitable. And if you are sending me, Jesus, what kind of kingdom? Where's our land? Where's our army? Where's our power? Where's our influence? Where's our kingdom, Jesus? Where's your throne? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the kingdom mission of the gospel and how deeds and compassion accompanied it for those first disciples and should for us too. And we'll see too that we've been sent by God to live as new kingdom citizens, identifying as kingdom citizens, welcoming others into that new kingdom and a new authority under a new king. His name's Jesus. And we're going to find that trust... The trust and urgency the disciples needed and that we need for this mission is only available with a big picture kingdom identity. And where do you find that? You have to wait for the answer to that. It's coming. So grab your outline. Hope you got your scripture open. We're going to look at three, three principles of the kingdom today. Three principles that fit this kingdom today and our identity this morning. So let's start with our first principle of the kingdom. Here it is. We are a people who are empowered and sent by our king to proclaim the kingdom with compassion. Don't forget that last word. With compassion. All three of these principles today read kind of like identity statements. We could say them together almost. We are a people. Jesus' original message of repentance, well, because the kingdom arrived, was needed to be spread. This time he was kind of the only one spreading the message. Sure, the disciples were with him and um, they maybe had conversations with others around, but now they're officially going out to spread it on a mission that Jesus is sending them on. So that the nation of Israel, their people, would find their new kingdom and find their new king. And so Jesus, who'd been teaching and leading his disciples, he'd been modeling for them, in front of them, living amongst them for a few years, what it looks like to be a heavenly kingdom person. And now he sends them out. As verses 1 and 2 said, we heard. He'd shown them how kingdom people live. How kingdom people, he modeled it. How do they fight temptation? 
how kingdom people share the gospel, how kingdom people respond to criticism. He clearly showed them that. He even criticized a lot. He showed them how kingdom people care with compassion. And now he sends them out to practice all these things, to do these things, and come back and talk about it, which they do. We'll hear that verse next week. He sends them out. We recently sent uh, our daughter Evangeline out to Washington, D.C. this last week on her eighth grade trip to D.C., and she returned this week on Friday. And as we sent her out, I know her mother and I were a little nervous, (laughs) a little timid. Um, Not because of her by any means, but just going with a group of people across the country. We made sure she had everything she needed. Every provision as we sent her out. We double-checked and triple-checked and, well, who am I kidding? Mom did double-checked and triple-checked. She did that. She gets the credit. But as we sent her out, this was a big trip. First time being sent out away from home without family across the country Because once she was gone, out of our circle and sphere of influence, she was out of our little kingdom, our home. Well, Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends them out without provision. He sends them out, in fact, we're going to see in a minute, unprepared. And and he sends them out without being timid or fearful at all as he sends out his sons, his his spiritual sons. He's not timid. And then he sends them out without anything. Don't take anything. No provision. It seems kind of strange. It seems actually uh, counterintuitive for us who are parents and grandparents who always prepare our kids. We probably over-prepare them today, actually. I don't think I went to school with a water bottle my whole life, and yet somehow I managed to stay hydrated. But really, they had all they need. Luke writes in verse 1 there, He called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. It's clear in the context here that at least the first twelve, the the called disciples on this mission, were given Jesus' power to do the works he had done. Power and authority, Luke records. Power here denotes the capacity, the energy, the force to be able to cure, not Star Wars force, but force actually, force to be able to cure and cast out demons. And authority means they had the right to use it. So power and authority, Luke records. In a quick instant, in other words, their abilities had been kind of supernaturally charged would have been a radical experience for those disciples. They had everything they needed. And yet to be given for these original first 12 here, the power and authority to do these things that Jesus did, you have to think there would have been quite a temptation at the power they had been given. Quite a temptation to maybe get a little heady, maybe a little inflated even. In fact, we know it was a problem for the disciples. That was a challenge for them as they were given this new capacity. 
And actually, he sends out 72 a bit later, not just the 12, but 72. We know it was a challenge because when they come back, in just a few verses, we're going to see Luke records. He said to them, Jesus to the disciples, don't rejoice in the fact that the spirits are subject to you, meaning the power they had to cast out demons. But rejoice, he said, that your names are written in heaven. It was a temptation. It was great power they were given. Great influence they were given. Jesus had to kind of call them into check as they came back to him. In other words, what Jesus was saying is they were taken with the power element that God was working through them. So Jesus warned them. He said, I, that's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's great. But, he said, the greater blessing, even than the miracles, he said, is the eternal salvation you're bringing these people. Your names are written in the book of everlasting life. He said, that's the thing. That's the thing. So let's talk about this for a moment. We're going to talk about the kingdom. We're going to talk about the healings. We're going to talk about all this stuff. Let's start, though, by talking for a moment how this kingdom idea of the gospel, as how they relate together. The kingdom and the gospel. This salvation they were to bring. The greater blessing that your names are written in the book of life. How do these things fit together, the kingdom and the gospel? They were to go out proclaiming the kingdom while they healed, while they brought compassion, while they cast out demons. But what's interesting is it says they're going to proclaim the kingdom in um, verse 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We don't want to miss this. What's interesting is verse 6 says they went out and preached the gospel. So what was it? Did they proclaim the kingdom or did they proclaim the gospel? It seems that Luke is kind of equating the two. Look at verse 6 with me. Jump down to it. And they departed after all these instructions. They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Well, Jesus said, preach the kingdom. In verse 2, it says that they preached the kingdom. Yet when it gets down to verse 6, it says they preached the gospel. So they preached the kingdom and they preached the gospel. Well, Luke's kind of equating the two, that they go so closely together. It's like using them synonymously. It wasn't a current kingdom land they were preaching, although there would be a territory element someday. There would be a land for the people someday. It wasn't even the restoration of all illness and all sickness as they preached the kingdom. Now, although it will mean that too someday, land and healing for all, but at the same time, the kingdom was actually also present in a very real sense. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come. It's at hand. It's here. And yet it wasn't all here yet. It's kind of this idea of already here, but not quite here yet in its fullness. But make no mistake, the kingdom was present in a real sense because God is ruling and reigning now. Not just someday, but now. Reigning and especially in the lives of his people, the citizens of that kingdom. The gospel message that they preached of the kingdom was the message that kingdom blessing and, and citizenship and citizens would be made through Jesus, the gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And new identity citizens would be made through repentance and faith. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But I think we need to be encouraged today by this. I want us to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged today by this idea of the kingdom. God in the kingdom is bigger than us. 
It's bigger than us. And the message of the gospel, I would say, is even too small if we only think in individual terms of people being saved. It's not less than that. Don't hear me. That's so super important. But look, I love what George Ladd said about the kingdom. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than even your individual salvation. He said the kingdom is primarily the dynamic reign or kingly rule of God. And then from that, derivatively, the sphere in which the rule of God is experienced. That could be a church. That could be a school. That could be a family. In biblical idiom, the kingdom's not identified with its subjects. They're the people of God's rule who enter it through Christ, live under it, and are governed by it. The church is the community of the kingdom, but never the kingdom itself. Jesus' disciples belong to the kingdom as the kingdom belongs to them, but they are not the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God. The church is a society of men and women that live in that kingdom, the true citizens of it. I love how he describes that. It's bigger than you and me. I need something bigger than me. You need something bigger than you. It's bigger than me. Here's why that matters. As we take the message of the gospel to our neighbors, to our family, maybe a coworker, we're sharing Jesus, not just so that they can be saved, which, but yes, of course, but it's so they can become part of something bigger than themselves. Bigger than you. Bigger even than Bethany Church, our local church. It was never just, as Luke says, they went out and preached the kingdom. They went out and preached the gospel. It was never just about individual salvation. It is, please hear me, but it was also about creating a new people who are part of a new kingdom. It's bigger. It's a big, giant group identity. It's bigger than us. Peter understood that. I prayed these words. You get to hear them again. You, he's speaking to these citizens of the kingdom. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who are we, Peter? We're a kingdom people. Who are we, Peter? We're chosen people. Peter, who are we? We're a royal people. We're a holy people. We're a special people. Better together than than individual parts. Well, what kind of people are we, Peter? What's our identity? You're a new light-filled people. You're kingdom people. I think this is something we, as a church, need to work on understanding a bit more. Not just us, but the church does. But Bethany Church, too. Understanding in our discipleship and in our evangelism this idea that we are a group of people. Of course, we have our individual identities, and they don't get totally wiped out or subsumed by coming, becoming part of the bigger kingdom. But we can't forget that big picture, the kingdom. We need to know and often remind each other, as Peter does here, and the New Testament does it all over the place, remind each other who we are. That's why we're together. Who are we? That's what Luke's doing with the gospel to Theophilus through the whole thing. Here's who we are, Theophilus. 
Here's who kingdom people are. Here's how kingdom people live. That's what Jesus was doing before he said, now I send you out. I've showed you who we are. We have this new kingdom. Now go preach the kingdom. You know who you are. It's incredible. We've got to remind ourselves of this. That salvation isn't just a fire insurance. <laughs> isn't just a ticket out of hell. That's describing it only the negative sense. If we want to describe it even a bit more positive, it's a membership in an entirely new kingdom. It's not just the absence of hell, it's the presence of being part of something new, a new people and a new kingdom. A people. We need to see that. But this is hard for us. I know it's hard for us. We don't have kings. We never have had kings here. We don't live in a kingdom. We don't have many castles in America either, right? I, don't, I mean, there's some. Hearst Castle, ever been there? It's not very castly. It's just a big house. We don't have a lot of kingdoms. We have no thrones, and we definitely don't really have any crowns in America. But think for a moment about another kingdom that most of you have been to. You know, what am I thinking of? Do you have any idea? Yeah, Magic Kingdom. Somebody got it out there. It's not very magic to some of you. I know that. But we live close enough to probably where most of us have been there at one time in our life. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Think about it for a moment with me in this little mental exercise through the eyes of a child. They do like it. I've been there with some. <laughs> they love it. The Magic Kingdom. Think of it for the eyes of a child for a moment. How magic would that kingdom be if they were to just kind of be able to pluck seven or eight of their rides up from the kingdom and set them out in a barren plain on a desert? And they had the seven or eight best rides from the kingdom, and they put them out in the desert. And that was it. It was a parking lot, the seven rides, and a bunch of sand. That's it. Maybe a small world and the, the star, new Star Wars ride and all the great you know, jungle, book, or jungle Cruise, all the things people love. And they put those rides out there, but no infrastructure, just the sand and no, no kingdom, just the rides. Now, on a crowded day, you might only get to like seven or eight rides. So you could have the same ride experience, so to speak, if you went to this desert Disneyland. But would you pay $200 a ticket to do it out there? No, not one person here would do it. Probably not. And I said, on some crowded days, you'd still only get to seven or eight rides. You'd get the same amount of rides. No, you want the rides and the park, the sights, the sounds, the music that's playing everywhere, the smells, the popcorn, the taste. Oh, I love the churros. Anybody love the churros there? Yeah, one person, okay. You and I can eat some churros and gain some weight together. Um, churros, we love the taste, we love the weather, we love the characters, we love the shops, we want to see the, the street shops or storefronts on Main Street, the whole thing. We want it all, the whole kingdom. By many degrees, it is better than the seven rides out in the desert, isn't it? By many degrees. We want the whole kingdom. You wouldn't pay the 200 bucks. So imagine then, by degrees, how much greater the kingdom of God is. His rule, his reign, what he's preparing for you and I, how much greater it is than even just our individual salvation. By infinitely more degrees, 
than the desert Disney to the kingdom. Infinitely more. How much greater this kingdom would be. That's the only kingdom idea I could think of for us to relate to as Americans. I'm sorry. But that's the one I got. (laughs) Immensely greater. We just don't get the rides. We get the whole kingdom. It's our new identity. Kingdom people. And when you, my friend, when you get to share in the kingdom, that gospel and the kingdom, we become, we are a kingdom people. You're a kingdom person, a citizen. It's the one element of our identity and mission we need to understand better. But here's another. Not just the gospel and the kingdom, but the kingdom and compassion. The kingdom and compassion. You see, they went out as they were sent out to heal and to love, and to rebuke and cast out demons. Evangelism, in other words, required engagement for them. They couldn't just kind of flash bomb in there and, 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 and drop a tract or four spiritual laws and, and jump out. No, Jesus was going to make them engage with these people face to face and engage their lives with them. It wasn't just sharing the good news of Jesus, but it was also serving the people they would bring the gospel to. The telling of God's caring for them in the gospel, the kingdom, was reinforced by evidence of God's caring. He healed them through the disciples. They showed that there's, there's something behind these words. There's something behind this man, Jesus. And he gave those disciples the power and authority to do it, that that compassion always, always was connected to their message. But even though that aspect of healing was evidence in that day of the new kingdom power, it doesn't mean it's always going to show up in exactly the same way today. And it doesn't mean it's necessary to be adorning the gospel today. It may. It might. It may be present. And we should ask God, let me be clear, we should ask God to heal. And we've seen actually some, I believe, true healing even at our church. We should ask God for healing. And we should battle dark spiritual forces. We should. They're real. And the power we have in Jesus Christ is real. It's a real thing. We should do that. It may be present. But if we wait for the powerful display of the victory of a miracle before we share the gospel, you may be waiting a while. You might be waiting a long time. What's a better guiding principle for us here is that the gospel needs to be adorned with compassion. Whatever that compassion looks like, it may look like a healing brought to someone's life. Emotional, physical, spiritual, Uh, a breaking from something dark that's oppressing them? It may. But it also might look like everyday, mundane, compassionate acts of love. It can be both. It might also look like that. That's a guiding principle for us. That compassion, even if it's a mundane type, is no less meaningful for us today to go along with the gospel if that's how God chooses to work through us. It's possible... It's possible, I'm not saying it's for sure, but it's possible that the mission of the 12 to introduce the kingdom was accompanied by more frequent displays of a divine splash 
as they introduced it. It's possible. I'm not saying that's for sure. I don't know, actually. And God does still seem to work through miraculous means today. And as I said, we should pursue those and ask and pray in all sincerity for healing. But it's possible that during that time, he was making a bigger divine splash as they introduced the kingdom. And now us, as the ongoing presence of the kingdom, might look more like everyday sacrificial compassion, which is not a small thing. It's not a small thing. The point is this. The primary emphasis in the New Testament as we go, as we love, as we serve, is that the kingdom of Jesus would be brought, the gospel would be brought with compassion and love. And it's going to look different in different times and places with different people. But be encouraged because behind those disciples, behind the kingdom citizen today is a real risen and reigning king who can work powerfully and may work powerfully through us. And he may work powerfully in a really subtle, humble way of just taking neighbor, uh, meals to your widow neighbor. It could be both and. We're a people empowered and sent by our king to proclaim the kingdom with compassion and to do so in confidence because we too are Jesus' disciples. And we have a message to share message of love and compassion. That's our first principle. We're going to go through our second and third quicker. But let's look at number two then. We're a people who live by trust and with urgency. We are people who live by trust and with urgency. As I said, we sent Evangeline to D.C. with all the items she could possibly need. But it was still, as she took all the items she needed, it was still in a carry-on, right? We know how to travel light nowadays, right? Expensive bags. You're not sure the bag is going to be there when it gets to the other side. We know how to travel light. But here, Jesus doesn't say travel light. He says, take nothing with you. It's kind of shocking. Take nothing. What's going on here? Well, a few things. First, I would say is this. As new kingdom citizens for this itinerant mission, I mean, it's kind of temporary, short-term, these preachers, these disciples, were to look different than other traveling preachers at that time, of other religions that went around at that time. At that time, it was really common for a traveling preacher to go from house to house and asking for money. They go house to house to house to house and ask for money as they traveled. Not Jesus' disciples. They weren't going to do that. They were not going to look the same. They were going to look different. It was appropriate for a short-term ministry campaign to just go. Jesus also asks them, he wants them to look different, is the first thing, but he also, secondly, wants them to trust him for their daily provision. He wants an exercise of trust for them as they go. It was an exercise of trust. Don't just pack lightly. Don't pack. (laughs) I can't imagine that. I think I would have probably pushed back a little bit. I like my new sandals or my second pair or my tunic or my staff. I like all that stuff, Jesus. I need that stuff. 
What was to be the foundation of their ministry? Not the success, not even the number of converts, not the number of healings, not the number of anything. The, the, the point here Jesus is saying is the, the, the grounding, the foundation of their ministry was to be faith. It was to be trust. It was to be a, a reliance upon this new king that he would provide, that even if he was to send you out with nothing, he would be with you. And he, what, whatever he gave you would be enough. In fact, they say that later. Jesus asked them, do you need anything? They say, no, we, we have everything. And so too for us, we are to be a people that not only look different as we take the message, we should, but also a people who live by trust, by faith, belief, especially as it relates to living in God's kingdom. We've put too much trust in the kingdoms of this world. And as it begins to look more and more different, and it is, and as our culture crumbles around us, and make no mistake, it is, it is, I wonder if we are going to be asked more and more to live as those who travel light. I think we are. I think we have been in some ways already, and I think we will be more. I mean, the disciples were asked to go without anything and to trust Jesus for our daily provision. Give us this day our daily what? Bread. Jesus taught us as kingdom people. That's how we pray. That's how we live. So a couple questions for us. As we remember, remember Peter said, we're exiles. You're an exile. But here, remember, you're not an exile who's alone. You're in a kingdom, a kingdom that's bigger than you. So here's a couple questions. Where do you personally now need to live into this identity of trust more and more as a new kingdom citizen? Where, where in your life personally is Jesus asking you to trust him a bit more? Where you let go of control a little more? The disciples were letting go of control, weren't they? They'd done this already as they followed him on the road. Now they were to do this as they were sent out without him on their first mission. And now to take no supplies, they were being asked over and over again to kind of let it something go. And isn't that kind of the life of discipleship? I mean, isn't that the life of sanctification? It's a small, tiny, little million deaths to self. That's what it is. It's just giving up that, that oh, we know that, when white-knuckling it. How many of you know what white-knuckling is in life? You're just like grasping something in your death grip, and they got to pry this out of my dead hands. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to ask you to die a lot of little deaths then. <laughs> it's the life of a disciple, trusting, trusting him. That's the first question. Well, here's another one that identity to trust him, but now even in maybe physical things, material things, to hold a little loosely for the sake of the kingdom. He asks us to do that. But also here's another one. Where have you lost that sense of urgency with God's kingdom? Look at verse five with me. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Wow, Jesus. That's not so kingdom compassionate. 
It was a sign to the town as they would leave and do this really symbolic like dusting of the feet. It was a sign to the town that if you reject God's messengers, God will reject you. It was serious. If there was a hostile reception to the gospel, they would symbolically, Jesus said, show them the urgency of their situation. Show them how urgent this is. It wasn't short-tempered. It wasn't like a, a mic drop. Like It wasn't a writing off an entire group of people. It wasn't any of those things. It was actually a dramatic and gracious act of warning to those who rejected the kingdom message. It was a strong way to make a strong impression on those who rejected the gospel. Maybe today be like saying, suit yourself. Or, okay, have it your way. And I think whether you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, we can all see the urgency in this kingdom message as I kind of summarize the passage here. The authority and the power of miracles that they were given. That's pretty urgent. That's pretty big. The healings mixed with the message of the kingdom and the gospel. Their radical ministry approach to travel more than light. And their radical approach to take no for an answer. You know, you've always heard, don't take no for an answer. Jesus told them, okay, take no for an answer. And then show them this radical symbol of judgment. Talk about urgent. When you put it all together like that, what do we make of this? How is it possible to live with this new identity? I mean, when I'm barely trying to make it through a workday some days, like I know you are, or just trying to get the kids, keep them out of trouble and keep them alive some days, or get out and start the garden work when your back is killing you. Like how, how are we supposed to do this stuff like this, this miraculous supernatural stuff? Or, or the humble service of compassion and sacrifice. Or to be so bold with the gospel as to live with, with trust and sacrifice for others and compassion. It's our final kingdom principle and Herod kind of takes us there today. The kingdom way becomes possible when we as a people take on the new identity of our new king. Together, this new identity and our new king is critical. In our final section here, Herod the king is perplexed. He's like without an answer. He is speechless in some ways. Who is Jesus? Who is this, he asks. Remember, Herod's the king at that time of that area, um, had a, a great level of authority given to him by the Roman rulers in that area, very king-like. And he's perplexed. Who is this king? I'm a king, but who's this king? Who is this, he asks. And scripture records, Luke records, that he desired to see Jesus. And at the end of the gospel, we get to see, and Luke shows us, that Herod got his chance. Before we look at that, here's what he said in chapter 9. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some Elijah had appeared, by others that one of the prophets of old had, had risen. And Herod said, well, John, I beheaded. That's pretty flippant, huh? Well, yeah, I beheaded that guy. Um, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this guy, Jesus? 
and he sought to hear him. Here's where Luke, at the end of the gospel, chapter 23, they finally had their meeting. And it's tragic for Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod under his jurisdiction. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. But what type of glad? For he had long desired to see him because he'd heard so much about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But that he, that's Jesus, made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Not just accusing, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in the clothing of a king. Here's your king, the splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate. Oh, Herod, he had him right there in front of him. He didn't know what type of king he had in front of him. And he mocked him, and he put him in this kingly attire, and they vehemently accused him. You see, Herod wanted the power. He wanted Jesus to put on a show, to do a trick. Hey, Jesus, just show me a sign. Do some, do some things I've been hearing about. Show me a sign. This was not the kind of king Herod would defer to and definitely not bow to. And so he mocks him and he sends him away. What a tragic moment for Herod. And all those in his court. Think of the people that could have been exposed that day to Jesus, the true king. It's tragic. Two kingdoms there clashing, aren't they? It's two kingdoms. Two different ways, two kingdoms contrasted there. One, Herod, the kingdom of power and might and victory and mockery and insecurity, I would say, and accusations and temporary relief. Show me it, Jesus. But the other kingdom, of humility, of sacrifice, of winning by losing, of repentance, of faith, of trust, of compassion and love. What could be more different when those two kingdoms clashed in that moment? Jesus had every right to say anything. What did Luke record? He didn't say anything. He kind of was like, okay, Herod, have it your way. It couldn't be more different. The kingdom way becomes possible when we grow in, when we love, when we understand more and more this new kingdom and this new kingdom identity and the new power and authority and, and position he gives us as chosen, holy, called out people, a people who are not a people, who are now a people, a people who weren't a possession, who are now owned by the very true king, the living God, Jesus. That's how we grow in it, but to love it. And to see our king. To see how he showed us to live as kingdom citizens. To see what he showed the disciples. To see what he showed us. First, a life of humility and sacrifice. He did too. Win, win by losing the cross. And trust and faith that he showed us in God. It's who we are. It's kingdom people. It's kingdom identity. It's the kingdom that truly truly contains the blessing. 
listen to these identity statements from this kingdom. And I'm going to come down here because this is not, this is us. This is us. This is who we are. This is the kingdom of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be the ones who receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. There it is, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus said, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets and Jesus who were before you and I. Will you pray with me? Father, this kingdom is so foreign to the kingdom of this world. It's so different than the strength and the power and the might of a man like Herod and what he showed to be the values of his kingdom in front of all his court when they ridiculed and mocked the king of the world. Oh, and the different picture we see is you sent the disciples out with nothing. How gracious you are, Lord, that you for the most time, ask us to live in between and you give us so much that we don't deserve. We have so much, so much. So Jesus, would you help us, each and every one of us, where I don't know this, but you know our hearts, where each and every one of us need to individually apply this a little more and just loosen our grip on some things, whether it's a viewpoint we have, whether it's a place we're putting too much hope a, a, a kingdom of this world we're resting upon too much, whether it's the material things we pursue or our finances or our relationships and our time. Let each one of us hold things a little different and maybe look more and more like kingdom citizens. May we have the joy that we get to do it together as we too take the message of the kingdom and gospel with compassion to the world. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.